Welcome to the You're a Financial Planner Now What podcast, an extension of the FPA DFW meetup. My name is Hannah Moore, certified financial planner and owner of Guiding Wealth Management. I'm excited to have you join us for this episode of You're a Financial Planner Now What as we continue our discussion on designations. Today we have with us Samir Samal. Samir is a chief financial officer at Blue Ocean Global Wealth and Blue Ocean Global Technology. Prior to co-founding Blue Ocean Global Wealth, he was a senior investment analyst at the Bank of Nova Scotia and a financial advisor and intermediary at Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch. I'm excited to have him on and think you'll find him interesting. Let's jump right in. Thanks so much for joining us, Samir, on the Euro Financial Planner Now What podcast. Could you just give us an idea of your background? How'd you get into financial planning, where you are now? Just kind of a quick timeline of where you've been. Sure, sure. And thank you, Hannah. Certainly uh, an honor to speak with you and looking forward to providing some guidance and context for those um, in our industry and looking to uh, join our, our industry. Yes, thank you. Well, um, Hannah, financial planning has always been, um, I would say, part of my life and, and, and my foundation. Um, I grew up babysitting kids, uh, shoveling driveways, uh, mowing lawns, and started investing my own money when I was about 10 years old. And uh, growing up as as part of a family business, I think you learn the fundamentals of financial planning at a very young age. And I was exposed furthermore to the financial planning process and being a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch, where I served clients and not only got to understand the portfolio construction process, but that integrated approach to financial planning where you're accounting for all aspects of your clients' lives, um, not just investments, but also in including tax aid planning, even succession planning for a business, of course, uh, risk management through insurance and um, the legal aspects um, with, with respect to estate planning. And um, it was um, when I was at Merrill Lynch that I worked with clients. I also received an opportunity on the institutional side to educate financial advisors. I worked as part of the external private sale and referral network of middle market investment bankers, helping financial advisors helping their client plan for um, the exit of their business and, and succession planning. And so um, you know, my experience in terms of serving financial advisors and, and clients um, has certainly been a, a fortuitous one. That's great. So did you always know that you wanted to do financial planning? I mean, was that? Well, I've always been an educator at heart. I, I think um, I'm passionate about financial planning because I think that it's a real process and a way to provide clarity and it puts some, I would say, the qualitative aspects of goals and what you want to accomplish and accounting for obligations uh, for a family um, you know, and, and marries those with some of the quantitative aspects in terms of money, resources, taxes. And um, so I've always been passionate about financial planning and I think that that's evolved as I've gained a, a stronger framework on the very same. Now, you have your CFP, right? Correct. And then you also have your CFA. Do you have any other designations? Well, I am also a chartered alternative investment analyst, which is uh, another program fo- focused on that um that quote unquote alternatives bucket, uh, which has become increasingly important not only for institutional investors but also for um investors at large. So, talking about the CFA and the CFP, which mm-hmm. one did you get first? Sure. So when I um was at Merrill Lynch, I went through the CFP program and um, passed the examination, uh, 
but I uh, had to wait for the experience requirements. So I learned and went through the six modules of the CFP program first, and uh, it was through some of my efforts and, and responsibilities in working with Merrill Lynch's Business Coverage Council and their private sale and referral network that I was able to interact with and learn from um, some very senior folks that had gone through the CFA program. And uh, that's how I um, learned about that and, and went through the CFA program uh, following the CFP to answer your question. <laughs> that's great. So, okay, if someone wanted to become a CFA, what what does that look like? What do they need to do? Sure. Well, I think um, the CFA program, how I explain it versus the CFP is that the CFP is kind of a mile long, but a foot deep, uh, you know, covering a, a number of different elements. But the CFA is particularly focused on investments. And so it's um, maybe a foot wide and a mile deep. And um, it's a graduate level curriculum that really just provides a strong foundation in real world investment analysis and portfolio management. There's also a strong um, you know, valuation component to the CFA program as well. With somebody listening to this podcast right now, who who are the candidates for the CFA program? I'm like, who who would you recommend look into the CFA program? Well, I think um, professionals who certainly want to differentiate themselves in terms of how they're able to serve clients. I think the advantages of the CFA program are that you're able to acquire specific investment related skills and um, it can be relatively cost effective in terms of the self-study program and there's three levels to the CFA program which um, which we can cover uh, as well. Great yeah what are those levels? I mean let's kind of hit on that now. Sure sure and so um, the first level is um, a level one exam which is a multiple choice exam and it focuses and, and really covers kind of the the gamut of um, investments. So you're going to have um, a focus on corporate finance, economics, uh, you know, financial reporting analysis. Uh, there's going to be um, certainly asset class specific material on alternative investments, uh, derivatives, equities, uh, fixed income, and of course that um, portfolio management and, and wealth. I would say that the second level of the exam that's considered, um, you know, certainly a little bit more rigorous is, is half multiple choice and also uh, there's, um, or excuse me, it's, it's full multiple choice, but it's done in case studies. So it covers the, the same topics, but it goes in greater depth and there's kind of a, a practical application in that you'll look at a particular situation, a, a case, and, and you'll have to answer a number of questions on that case. And then the third test at the third level? And the level, um, yeah, sure. The third level is, um, is, is half, um, essay. So, uh, the morning part of the exam is actually writing out responses to, specific cases and questions, and the other half um, is, is a number of case studies as well. So when comparing the study load from the CFP to the CFA, how would you rate, I mean, I mean, is the CFA more intensive? Is the C, I mean, if somebody's already sat for the CFP, what should mm -hmm. they expect from the studying going forward? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, that's probably an accurate statement. It's, it's more intensive. Um, there's a larger... I would say, body of um, curriculum in terms of books and content that you have to cover. It's also, um, you know, the CFP exam is offered and, and you sit and you take the exam and you receive your results, whereas the CFA program, there's three levels. The first one is only um, is offered twice a year in June and December, and level two and level three are offered only once a year every June. 
And so you're going to have, you know, at least a three-year commitment in terms of the CFA program. But um, there's a reason why it's, um, I think the Financial Times is, is quoted as saying that uh, among the countless finance degrees around the world, the chartered financial analyst qualification has become the gold standard. I think that was in, in the Financial Times uh, several years ago. And um, so it, it's certainly um, a, a program that, that merits um, a, a real commitment. And um, going through the program myself, I can think of um, you know, many situations where you, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day and you've got to use your time effectively. And it was lots of nights and, and weekends um, consistently for three years. And I was fortunate to, to get through those um, exams uh, on a first attempt basis. How has being a CFA helped you as a financial planner? Sure, sure. If, uh, well, first of all, being a CFA charter holder certainly brings a different uh, level of, of credibility. I, I mean, I think designations, knowledge, they're all first off market signals. So having the CFA or having the CFP is not going to guarantee success, is not going to mean that you're automatically um, going, to, going to be able to, to land a job, but it does help. And so I would say that first and foremost, when you're a financial advisor, you oftentimes have to interact um, not only with other financial advisors, but also with portfolio managers and those on the asset management side. Maybe it's the mutual fund wholesalers. And on the whole, um, those folks are very aware of the CFA charter. So having that is certainly instant credibility. Um, but also from a technical perspective, uh, you just in order to get through the program, you have to gain a much stronger framework in terms of how investments are implemented for clients. And um, I think that that's where the CFA um, certainly provides um, a great deal of, of ability to foster trust. People who are listening to this, if they're looking to become a financial planner or already are one, if they got a CFA, what are the additional career paths that would be available to them if they didn't have the CFA? So I, I think the CFA certainly is a designation uh, as well that can expand your opportunity set. For instance, some um, when I was at uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, I learned about uh, an opportunity uh, for at the Bank of Nova Scotia, and um, you know, I went through that interview process. And in order to uh, apply and, and join the investment strategy group at the Bank of Nova Scotia and educate financial advisors and support our institutional business development efforts, um, it, it was required that you'd already passed um, the level two exam. So you had to be a level three CFA candidate. And so to even apply for that opportunity, um, you know, I, I had to have gone through the program. And so, you know, to answer your question specifically in having the CFA charter, I um, mean, you know, that kind of opens the doors to um, having an analytical role, perhaps, um, you know, whether it's with a private equity firm, a portfolio management company, and, you know, that analyst framework uh, certainly is helpful. And um, CFA charters on the, uh, on the whole, um, many of them are in the financial advisory industry, in the portfolio management industry, but, it, you know, there also are many CFA charter holders that have gone to other areas of finance. So I think the program, um, once you've gotten through it, and there's no such thing as kind of a CFA one, CFA two, CFA is very, uh, I would say, direct in terms of what it means to be a charter. And to be a charter holder, you have to pass all three exams and meet the experience requirements. But certainly having the CFA charter um, you know, opens up um, a, a number of opportunities, um, both within the financial advisory business as well as in other disciplines within finance. So if somebody is interested in learning more about the CFA, what resources are out there? Where can they go? I think one of the, the, the best places to go is the CFA Institute website. 
Um, you know, that's where you're going to find background on the program. You're going to have an overview of, um, you know, not only what the program entails, but you're going to have guidance on, on commitment. I think that's cfainstitute.org. Uh, and then with respect to studying for the program, um, like many designations, you can um, self-study. You can also sign up for classes through a, a Kaplan Schweizer, for instance. There are a number of companies that um, offer CFA education, um, but certainly CFA Institute is a good good place to start. Regarding the CFA, is there anything else that somebody should know about the designation or about how it's helped you in your career? Well, I think first and foremost, know that you know anything that, that is worth something in life usually takes um, a, a great deal of effort. And while the CFA um, is a, an extraordinary amount of time, I would say that it certainly changed the course of my life, not only in terms of the opportunities that I've had professionally, but also in my ability to relate and communicate with clients, with like-minded professionals. As um, you're aware, uh, Hannah, we uh, are educators at Blue Ocean Global Wealth. We deliver programs to financial advisors, CPAs, attorneys. And when you're speaking uh, to those groups, um, having the CFA charter not only helps in terms of credibility, but it also allows you to communicate more effectively and intelligently on um, you know, issues and, and, and topics associated with the investment component of the financial planning process. You had touched on the education program. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that to where people can go to find out, go to learn more. Sure, sure. I think um, well, education is really the foundation of how we build relationships, um, not only with clients, but also as industry leaders. And um, our Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, of course, the book Blue Ocean Strategy was the inspiration behind the name of our firms, Blue Ocean Global Wealth and Blue Ocean Global Technology. And I don't know if you're um, familiar with the book, but it, it may be helpful for our audience to know that uh, what blue ocean strategy means, Hannah, is typically companies compete in a red ocean, meaning um, you're Coke, I'm Pepsi, we're competing for the same distribution client, we're going to cut, injure each other, shark-infested waters, blood, red ocean, uh, blue ocean companies are different. They don't benchmark themselves to a competitor. They're innovative. An example um, in the book is Cirque de Soleil, which brings elements of theater, elements of circus, and a hybrid performance. And so our blue ocean strategy is education, and we provide um, education programs to our, our colleagues who are financial advisors, and um, that's um, not only been able to differentiate our firm in terms of branding and how we create value, um, but it also uh, allows us to stay at the forefront of understanding um, changes that are taking place from a regulatory standpoint and being at the forefront uh, of providing knowledge and guidance that can help ourselves um, help clients uh, and also help our colleagues help their clients. So are these education programs online? Can somebody go and just view them online or are they all in person? Sure. So um, the programs are available in terms of what we offer on Blue Ocean Global Wealth's website on our education tab and education programs. And there we list out the programs. Um, we've got some descriptions, some photos, and that's where um, people can learn about the programs. But as terms of delivery, We've offered the programs, of course, um, on many occasions uh, live, whether it be uh, privately or through um, industry organizations like the Financial Planning Association or NAPFA or the Society of Financial Services Professionals. We've also delivered the programs uh, online via webinar and, and private briefing online as well. Great. Well, what advice would you have for planners who are new to the profession? 
I think first and foremost, recognize, I, I think in, in life and in business, you got to understand trends. And there's never been a greater opportunity, uh, I believe, to join the financial planning profession. Not only is there a confluence of factors in terms of the way that technology has changed, how we relate to clients, the need for planners um, has never been greater. There was an article I published with CFA Institute uh, that focused on, uh, you know, I would say, how and why it's important to um, be thoughtful about this industry and, and some of the trends that have taken place. And, um, you know, I, it's it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, I, I think the article was called Five Reasons to Start Your Own, for, uh, your own Firm and Four Steps uh, to Take to Actually Do It. And, you know, a number of factors among them, as I mentioned, a shift. But there's also you know, 10,000 U.S. residents retiring every day for the next decade and a half. And so the need for qualified guidance um, is there. And there's been somewhat of an erosion of trust when you think about situations that we had with someone like um, Bernie Madoff or Alan Sanford. And so there's a real opportunity to serve clients and earn that trust. And I think, of course, going through the CFA and CFP programs helps that. Um, another important facet to mention is that there's a dearth or paucity or, or um, you know, lack of, of qualified young people coming in and staying in the profession. I think there's more advisors over the age of, of 70 than under the age of 30. And um, this succession planning quandary and, and challenge um, is real within our industry. And so there's a, an opportunity for young people to come into this business, to learn the fundamentals of planning, to serve clients, and where appropriate to partner with more experienced advisors and be mentored and learn from them and, and even play a role in, in their succession plan and establishing and cementing their legacies. That's great. And I love just your approach to everything that it's there's so much opportunity that that blue ocean mentality, even to new people who are coming in. <laughs> sure. And there is, um, I, and I thought I should mention there, there's a white paper we wrote on our website under the education tab, white papers called the case for succession planning, and that outlines succession planning specific in the financial advisory business and, and covers um, kind of the realities that financial advisors are, are placing. I think when delivering the CE program, I, I oftentimes use the analogy of the shoe cobbler, uh, the shoe cobbler who um, makes shoes, fixes shoes, but his kids run around shoeless. And that's very much the case with financial advisors in that they spend their lives stewarding their clients and, and keeping them on the road to financial independence, yet oftentimes neglect uh, their own retirement and protecting their own families. And so I think the succession planning framework uh, is certainly um, an opportunity for learning for young planners and, and just being able to um, frame why they're in the industry and be able to engage partnership opportunities with them um, with other more senior folks. That's great. Do you um, do a lot of consulting on that succession planning side? Sure. That's a great question. And so Blue Ocean Global Wealth provides succession planning education. Um, we have done some consulting with firms and helped them, but succession planning consulting is, is kind of not um, our business. We have um, a strong network of people and folks that help with the various aspects of succession planning. And we oftentimes make qualified introductions for those who um, would like to learn more, want a better framework, or are interested in, in partnership, be it merging practices, buying practices, or, or even selling their practice. And so I would say, um, you know, we are resources in that respect, but we don't necessarily provide succession planning consulting for advisors. Well, are there any other pieces of advice or thoughts before we jump off the call? 
Sure. I think, um, you know, when you think about joining this profession, you know, there's, there's so many numbers and so many things that are measured, you know, whether it's um, assets under management, whether it's the statistics associated with investment performance. And I think that in this business in particular, uh, it's unique because um, the financial advisory business doesn't have the same type of brick and mortar that um, I would say many industries have. For instance, there isn't that property plant uh, and equipment. Uh, you know, there's no factories for financial advisors. So much of the value that financial advisors have is tied up in relationship capital and in trust that they have with their clients. And that makes the succession planning challenge even harder because when you're focused on numbers, you're focused on a multiple of revenue and you don't have an acute understanding of the fact that your clients are the reason why you're there. And sometimes we, we overlook the opportunities um, and um, you know, that's where there's been some challenges. So I would say the intangibles of this industry are, are so important um, you know, whether that's developing relationships, whether that's the speed of trust. I think that some of the guidance that we oftentimes provide when delivering education programs are, it's important first off to have a global mindset. It used to be Henry Ford in the assembly line. Now it is the disassembly line and countries are arranged kind of according to their comparative advantage. And, uh, you know, not only in terms of global investing, but in terms of global resources. I think another key component, one that I'm particularly passionate about, as is Blue Ocean Global Wealth, one of our you know, core principles is diversity, you know, diversity in terms of, of age, that age diversity uh, in our industry, diversity in terms of gender. And there are not enough um, women in this profession. I think 20% of, of CFPs are women. I'm a women in finance advocate at, at CFP board and um, certainly recognize um, the opportunity for women to join this profession. But Diversity, um, and we deliver a diversity CE program. Uh, it's important to remember that you know, diversity, you know, isn't I'm brown and and somebody's white or black. Diversity is a way of thinking. Diversity is um, human beings since the beginning of time have made the most informed decisions. When we want to put men on the moon, we want to craft changes in the tax code, we want to cure diseases, we want to innovate new products. We assemble diverse groups of people, and that allows us. Um, as Peter Drucker said, that allows us to um, make more effective decisions when he said that uh, effective work is, is actually done in, in groups of, of people um, with diverse skill sets and experience. Um, I also would say that fundamentally in, in any profession, particularly the financial business, is that there's so much noise. I mean, there's the financial weather channel in terms of CNBC, and it's important to invest in yourself. And Ultimately, I explain that what you achieve and what you accomplish out there in the marketplace, Anna, is a reflection of what you've invested internally. And I'm a, a big believer in, in trying to go to bed a little bit smarter every day than when you uh, woke up. And um, I think that investment in knowledge pays the best interest long term. And, and you must have a long term perspective in this business because working with clients and you know, serving them from a financial planning standpoint is a long term relationship. And um, if you're passionate about working with people and you have some of those, um, uh, I would say, extrovert tendencies, but you also value kind of technical work and having that framework, um, the advisory business is, is just a phenomenal opportunity. And um, there's, there's kind of no limit in terms of your growth and ability to create value because of some of the aforementioned trends. Okay, I was taking notes when you were talking, and I, I want to circle back to one of the things that you talked about. Um, you talked about so many intangibles in this industry, 
Mm-hmm. And I know when I started out, it was really frustrating to hear people talk about the intangibles. Mm-hmm. How do you get better at the intangibles? That's a phenomenal question. Um, I think I probably have to take a step back and start with my mantra, which is the man or woman who doesn't read good books has no advantage over the man or woman who can't read Mark Twain. And technology is is awesome. And Adam Smith, it's in the Wealth of Nations. It's the one thing that changes everything. And technology is so important to this business and life. I mean, even the way that we communicate with our clients, our friends, our family has just evolved so much over the past 20 years. And when you think about 5 billion people joining the internet over the next 10 years, technology is important. Having said that, um, technology, and, and this is one of the challenges that I, I think this industry faces, is that when Einstein talked about when technology surpassed the need for us to communicate with one another, he said it would eventually happen and there would be challenges there. And you know, there's an advisor that's a friend of mine and a technology client in New York. And he said, you know, Samir, I hired someone from Cornell and I'm paying them really good money. And, uh, you know, this um, this young man says, no, I, I don't want to pick up the phone. You know, I, I'm not a phone person. And so going back to answer your question, I think developing the intangibles has a lot to do with reading, writing, um, you know, communicating effectively, you know, speaking intelligently and, and writing effectively, whether that's writing articles, building programs, or simply the way that you respond to emails uh, is a process and you just get better and better. And I always say, um, you can always better your best. You can always go further than anything that you've ever done. And those intangibles in terms of communication are just becoming so important um, because on the whole, people are, are texting more. Um, I think several professors that are my friends say, Samir, you know, it, it's it's interesting now to find final exam essays and kids are using text lingo within their essays. And so the opportunity to, at least in our lifetime, communicate effectively is going to be one that's going to become a skill set that's increasingly valuable. And I say that's an intangible because how do you measure effective communication? How do you measure trust? Um, you can't. And so... You know, I think um, reading and, and and I would say reading not only financial and financial planning related material, but I'm a big believer in multidisciplinary learning. And so whether that's uh, being a student of history or studying psychology and why people make decisions and behavioral finance, there's you know many areas that you can educate yourself that are ultimately going to help you be a better professional and, and serve your clients and, um, of course, increase your opportunities as you move through your career. So what is, what are some books that you would recommend that are just sure. yeah, great books? Sure. I think um, several books that I think may, um, may merit consideration. One would be The Speed of Trust, uh, The Speed of Trust um, by Stephen M. R. Covey. Uh, there's nothing as, as fast as trust. And um, that's certainly a, a book that actually my business partner uh, and our CEO, Margarita Chang, had recommended to me. Uh, quite some time ago when we first became friends, and that had a profound impact in, in my understanding uh, of people. Um, naturally, uh, the book Blue Ocean Strategy, I found uh, inspiration in. Um, and, you know, when you think about books and the fundamentals of uh, of people, um, there's one book that I read uh, at a very young age as a teenager, and I've since reread, and that's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which speaks of um, many of those intangibles. And of course, Dale Carnegie is um, is a legend, and um, Warren Buffett, for instance, uh, credits him with um, some of his ability to to develop skill sets and attending his seminars at a very uh, at a very young age. 
Thanks for joining us for another Year of Financial Planner Now What podcast. And we really appreciate our guest, Samir, for joining us. You can find him at blueoceanglobalwealth.com to find many of the resources he talked about today. We're glad you joined us and want to make this podcast full of relevant and rich content. If there's anything you want to hear or have any suggestions, you can reach me by email at hannah at guidingwealth.com or find me on Twitter at guidingwealth. If you're in Dallas, we would love to see you at our in-person meeting on April 14th. You can find more details on fpadfw.org or by visiting financialplannerpodcast.com. On the website, financialplannerpodcast.com, you can find other episodes, show notes from today's episodes, relevant links, and join our email list to find out about upcoming news and events first. Thanks for listening.